I want us to turn to Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, from which I read from the scriptures, or for the scriptures. And in verse 7, who would not fear thee, O king of nations? And then verse 10, but the Lord is the true God, he is the living God, an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Verse 12, he hath made the earth by his power, he hath established the world by his wisdom, and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. We have an emphasis here upon the nations and upon the fact that the Lord is above the nations and that no nation is going to be able to abide his indignation, his indignation. Our country is a nation, and the Lord is going to judge it, he's going to deal with it. And we're in great trouble tonight. I don't think anyone will dispute that. Never have we had a condition such as exists in our country since the days of the Civil War, more than a hundred years ago. People everywhere are just afraid to go out, afraid to do anything. My own brother, whom you know, called me this afternoon from Oklahoma City. Want to know how things were getting along up here. He says they're having quite a scare out in Oklahoma City. He says everybody's scared. He said the rumors were all over town that the Negroes were going to write marks into the white sections last night. And he says a lady lives next door to him, alone over there, and she called him. Well, no, she'd come over and spend the night with them. And he says everybody's afraid. And I says, that's right. We got the same thing back here. Who would have ever thought that in the United States of America we would come on these days? Now the president has appointed a commission to investigate this thing, but he put some of the people that ought to be investigated themselves on his commission. And you're going to get, undoubtedly, some sort of a political whitewash out of the thing. But this week I'm going to spend considerable time on my network broadcast challenging these men down in Washington, challenging the people, to study the question as to what the communists had to do with it. They had an awful lot to do with it. And my opinion is that instead of setting up a new commission, all the president ought to have done was to have called on the Committee on Un-American Activities to go to work on the job. And they'd have turned up plenty. But no, they're bypassing all of that. And this is of the greatest interest to our churches, to our ministries. And that's one reason why I felt I would bring you this message tonight, dealing with God's judgments in Latin America, and especially his goodness to the land of Brazil. And I've just come from our Latin American Alliance meeting. We had people there from all over South America in Recife, Brazil, the seventh Congress. The first move in Latin America was in 49. The council was organized in 51, and since 1951 they've had seven meetings. Chile, Mexico City, Buenos Aires, Argentina, Quitandina, these other places. And our movement down there is the only continent-wide organized cooperative movement of Protestant churches. There isn't any other. The World Council of Churches that you hear so much about up here and the National Council of Churches that we hear so much about up here, you don't hear very much of it down there. And in all of Latin America, the whole, everywhere they speak Spanish, from Florida and Texas south, the World Council of Churches only has 10 denominations, just 10 of them, that's all. In the United States, of course, it has 33 of them, and the major ones. In the land of Brazil, they only have two, the Methodist Church, which you can count on to be in there. And the Lutheran Church, which has had a big split over the subject. And that's all they have. And when the World Council will have its great meeting next summer in Uppsala, Sweden, just outside of Stockholm, they will have some 850 voting delegates from all their churches all over the world. And according to the latest list of all the delegates they first put out, they're going to have 16. But now they've increased it to 20. 
for all of the Latin countries, they'll only have 20 delegates out of 850 present. The ecumenical movement from the Protestant side has not been successful in organizing South America. Just hasn't. But our movement, the fundamentalist movement, has been successful. And we have some 37 different groups in the Latin countries that are now affiliated with us. And when we come here a year from now to Cape May, they'll have somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 voting delegates from Latin America coming to the International Council of Christian Church. And what God Almighty has done for the fundamentalist movement and for our cause in Latin America is a real chapter of the 20th century church history. And it will be read. And we are grateful that we have been able to go from the beginning and have a part and have a share in the unfolding of this movement. Now Brazil has been delivered in a magnificent manner from this communist agitation and conspiracy. Oh, of course, there's some still there. But it's not anything like it was five years ago because it was in 1964 that the change took place. And it took place in a very sudden revolutionary way. And I'd like to outline something of that to you. But before I get into that, I want to say that from the standpoint of our own movement, Dr. Israel Gayros of Recife is the great Protestant leader. He was re-elected president of the Latin American Alliance. We all know him and you love him. He's an exceedingly able man. And God has raised up the finest of leadership in these Latin lands to carry the torch for the faith and to carry the standard of an infallible Bible and to stand against this apostasy and modernism and the ecumenism of the Roman Catholic Church. And the Roman Catholic Church itself is in considerable disfavor in Latin America among the Roman Catholics themselves. Many, many hundreds and thousands of people are leaving the Roman Catholic Church. Many of these Roman Catholics are going to the Pentecostal churches, which are growing by leaps and bounds. But many are also turning aside and coming into the evangelical and the fundamental churches. And there is more evangelism, more people being saved, more aggressive, militant fundamentalism in Latin America tonight than I believe perhaps there is anywhere else in the world. It's a wonderful sight indeed to behold, and we do thank and we do praise God for it. I mentioned this morning that when I went to Brazil in 1949, that was our first visit. Perhaps I can give you just a little review of that because this question of communism was in the picture then, but not so much so. In fact, the whole question of communism has not been so much in the picture until just the last four or five years. There's been greater concern now for the Castro guerrillas, which are active in Peru and in Bolivia and in certain other areas. And we got first-hand contact and reports with this guerrilla activity too. But this issue of communism has been in here from the beginning. However, primarily, so far as the Protestants are concerned, the issue has been the Roman Catholic Church and its persecutions of the Protestants and the afflictions which the Roman Church have sought to uh, place upon the uh, evangelicals or the fundamental Easter, as they call it. But all that is different, considerably different tonight, by the grace and by the mercy of God. In 1949... The World Council of Churches decided that it would first coordinate South America. They went there first. They were organized in Amsterdam in 48. We were organized in Amsterdam in 48. They made the first move to organize and consolidate their activities in South America. And they took to that Inter-American Evangelical Conference in Buenos Aires in July of 1949 the great evangelical Protestant leader, highly esteemed of all leaders in South America, Dr. Johnny Mackay, who was then president of Princeton Seminary. Along with him was Dr. Mark Bergener of France, a president of the World Council of Churches. And as you know, maybe I've said it here, maybe I haven't, but you all know that we went. And you know, that was the beginning of all our travels that you people have had to put up with. For so many years. But that was the beginning of it. 
1949. I was gone for six and one half weeks. Now when I'm gone one week, you think something wrong. But I was on that tour for six and a half weeks in 49 as we went to Peru and to Chile. Spent two weeks in Buenos Aires, Argentina, a little old Carson Hotel. But here was the great Union Theological Seminary supported by the Methodist in Buenos Aires and defeating all the evangelical movement. And the World Council had its meeting there. And whoever organized it made that historic mistake it was a historic mistake so far as Latin countries are concerned. They sent an invitation to us to come to that meeting. And we accepted the invitation. But when they got there, they wouldn't let us in. And you will remember, there were 14 of us went. The leading Baptists, our leading Presbyterians. We went down there for that great engagement. And beloved, I can say tonight that it was that first encounter. You know, oftentimes it is the first encounter. It is the first thrust. It's the first encounter that won the battle in Latin America, and the World Council has never gotten over it. I don't think they ever will get over it. And their efforts to organize Latin America, which they started at that time, have failed and failed, and they've not been successful in getting anything organized on a continent-wide basis. We were locked out of that conference. We couldn't get in. And I remember that morning when we went out, Earl White and I went out to see if we couldn't get in. We went out time and time again, and they had the place so locked up that Mark Bergner himself couldn't get in. And he was standing out there pressing a the button, trying his best to get in, and Mr. White took a picture of him. And we've had that famous picture of the president of the World Council of Churches not able to get into their own meeting because they were trying to lock us out. And you know the story of how we went to the head of religion in the Peron government. Peron, the dictator, another Hitler, was running Argentina in those days. And it was a police society and police state. But we went to the head of the government in matters of religion to see if we couldn't get permission to hold another meeting where we could meet with our people and gather in the evangelicals and tell them the story. And when we went into his office, there on his desk were these papers. And the first question he asked us, Dr. McIntyre, what do you know about communism in this group out here? What do you know about communism in the World Council of Churches? And we opened our bag and we laid all the material out before him and we asked him for permission to have a meeting and he says, we'll give you that permission. And in 24 hours, we had permission to hold a meeting there in a hall in the city, in the heart of the city of Buenos Aires. And when that word got out across to the other conference, the organizer of their conference, who was pastor of one of the Protestant churches in Buenos Aires, came to my bedroom after midnight and knocked on the door and said, Dr. McIntyre, tell us what went on, tell us what happened. And we got the other members of our party together and we sat around there and we told Mr. Conclini exactly what happened. He sat there with his eyes popping. He said, it took us six months for us to get our permission to have our meeting. And finally, when he found out that we were really going to have a meeting, the government had given us permission to have a meeting, he said, would you do us a favor? Would you do us a favor? He says, when you have your meeting, please just preach the gospel and don't tell the people all these things. It'll upset them and make it difficult for us after you're gone. I asked him to come to our meeting, told him the Lord would lead us. And we went to our meeting, and when we had our meeting that night, that meeting out at that Union Theological Seminary didn't even hold forth. Nobody went to their meeting. They came down to ours, even the speakers that were scheduled to speak that night. And they came down to our meeting, and that's the meeting that changed Latin America, ladies and gentlemen. It went right out of that meeting, that whole thing, from that time on. And we began there that night with that place packed out and we took this blessed book as we always do and laid the foundations and then we lifted our hands as we want to tell you people in Latin America and all you delegate what's going on and we proceeded to explain the whole communist activities, Ramadka and the World Council of Churches and Mark Bergner's activities and we told them the story and just as I got through this man Walter Wright was my translator. Isn't it interesting that the same men who were with us 18 years ago are with us today? 
They're still our same translators. They're still the same leaders in the movement. Walter Wright was standing me, and this man jumped over, and he began to spit out his language in rapid-fire fashion as the, as the Latins do. And I says, Mr. Wright, tell me what he's saying. Tell me what he's saying. Mr. Wright said, he's telling everybody he knew that they were trying to hide something, and he knew that you had something that needed to be, say, be said, and he knew that everything wasn't on the level out at the Union Theological Seminary. One of the leaders of that conference out at the Union Theological Seminary, beloved, I'll tell you this tonight, met me last Friday afternoon a week in, in Rio after 18 years. He's pastor of one of the biggest churches in, our, in, in, uh, in Rio tonight, one of the big churches. He says, McIntyre, I was down there in, Rio, in Buenos Aires 18 years ago when you were there. He says, I want to tell you, Dr. McIntyre, I see now you were right. You were right. And that man was there. He saw it. And that man of whom I'm speaking is one of the biggest leaders in Brazil tonight in, ha in helping to change the whole Presbyterian church. And they have changed the Presbyterian church in Brazil tonight. And the conservatives of the fundamentalists are in control of their general assembly in Brazil tonight. And that, I would say, is the most influential and the most powerful Protestant church in South America. There in Argentina, 18 years ago, we gave this communist story, we gave this information. And then the word went out as we issued a formal call for a formal organization to be established in San Paulo in 1951. And then it was in 1951, thank God, that we went down there and we saw this Latin American Alliance organized. But following this meeting in 1949, when we made our tour up across that coast, the eastern coast of South America, and we went into Brazil, and they'd organized the great meeting in the Grand Theater in the heart of the city, and we had 5,000 people there that night, and we told this story and just went like wildfire, and the Presbyterian Church of Brazil withdrew from the World Council of Churches following that tour, if you will remember. Then we went to Rio, and here we spoke in the old and historic congregational church in Rio with Senesio Lira, the pastor. He was finally put out of that church and organized his own independent congregational group, which is now with us. But even the people that put him out in that church were attending the meeting that I had in Rio when I was there Friday night uh, just a week ago. Then we went up to Recife, and here was Dr. Garros, and here were these major cities, San Paulo, Rio, and Recife, these cities, 18 years ago. They had a powerful confederation in those days. Adolf Anders was the chairman. Adolf Anders organized as chairman the meeting in Buenos Aires in 49, and he was being financed by the Board of Foreign Missions of the Presbyterian Church and money coming out of the National Council and these groups here in the United States. Today, the confederation that Anders was heading and which is so powerful is nothing but a name on a door. That's about all there's left of it. And I asked the people, where was Anders? Well, we don't know where he is. Nobody seems to know what's happened to him. But it all centers around the way in which the Brazilians began to see these issues, to take their stand, and this movement in the churches, our movement had a lot to do with the development of the opposition and the anti-communist overturning which took place in Brazil. And this Presbyterian leader of whom I spoke, who was down there 18 years ago, was one of the big leaders that helped completely demolish the confederation in Brazil. And he sat there and told us how they discovered it was communist infiltrated. And he sat there and told us that they had a big meeting up in the northern part of Brazil under their sponsorship, and the communists took part of it. He said that I was the president of that confederation when this thing was going on, and he said I wasn't aware of all of it. And one of these men who was a communist wrote an article for one of their publications, and he wrote the introduction to it. He says, I wrote the introduction to that. And he says it was put out by the communists. And he says, as this thing dawned on us and we began to see what was taking place, then we began to realize, Dr. McIntyre, that what you have been saying in the United States and what you've been telling us down here in Brazil was absolutely true. And when the door opened for these men to see me last Friday afternoon, I spent two hours and a half talking with them. 
and they told me how when they got suspicious there was real communism in here, some of these military men and some of the government men made their investigation and got their records and they saw that the communists were in the confederation which was the Protestant church movement in Brazil and they would have none of it. Now let me give you an illustration of how this thing, or rather give you briefly the story of how this thing did develop in the government. And it's so much like what's going on in our country right now. So much like. Let me just read you this report. And by the way, of the country that saved itself was published by the Reader's Digest back there in those days. A very excellent report. Coddled by the Ministry of Education was the National Student Union, whose 100,000 members make up the largest single national student organization in Latin America. Its executive board was completely dominated by Reds. Did you ever hear with the National Christian or National Student Association in the United States? Same thing, got Reds on their board, same identical thing, exactly. And this is the way this thing was being developed down there. Then the story goes on to explain how the communists were able to infiltrate the various branches of government, the various areas of the government. And it was the women of the country, the mothers of the country, who sounded the alarm and took things in hand. And in March, March the 13th, 1964, in San Paulo, Brazil, the whole thing broke out. And the women sponsored a march of the family with God toward freedom. That was the name of it. They issued this proclamation, this nation which God has given us, immense and marvelous as it is, is in extreme danger. We have allowed men of limitless ambition without Christian faith or scruple to bring our people misery, destroying our economy, disturbing our social peace, to create hate and despair. They have infiltrated our nation, our government administration, our armed forces, and even our churches with servants of totalitarianism. Foreign to us, and all-consuming. You know, you could make a statement like that in the United States right now, and it wouldn't, wouldn't miss the truth very far, would it? It wouldn't miss the truth very far, but this is what the women did. And they started the thing rolling, took the thing in hand, and then it began to go. And of course, this military leader, who has just died in a crash of airplanes, Costello Bronco, took over as president, and they had a house cleaning from top to bottom in Brazil. They cleaned the communists out of education. They cleaned them out of their universities. They cleaned them out of the government. They cleaned them out of the council of churches. They cleaned them out of everywhere and any place there was anything that even smelt of communism. They even looked under the beds. A complete turnover took place in Brazil in 1964. And it was the church leaders, it was the strong Christian movement that became aware of the, all this communist activity and infiltration and activity that helped create the sentiment that helped bring the whole issue to a head and the women of Brazil took the thing in hand and they were the ones that went out and demanded the overturning, demanded the revolution, and gave their support and support of the nation to Costello Branco, and he took things in hands, and with a firm hand he changed Brazil. And I'll tell you, an anti-communist in Brazil is not an extremist. He's a good citizen. An anti-communist in Brazil today is highly respected. And as I indicated to you people this morning, there's the strangest kind of activity going on down there. Even the political leaders 
get up and denounce the communists. And you won't find any of our senators or our governors or the President of the United States out denouncing the communists today. They're just not doing it. When one of them makes a speech, would you give me it to my attention? I'd like to see it. We're shielding. We don't talk against Moscow. They blast us. Moscow, Moscow blasts us day and night, right and left, everywhere. But we're not doing it. And as I stand in this pulpit tonight and tell you, dear people, as I've come back from South America and I've seen the strength of the Christian movement down there, if America is going to be saved from communism, the Christian people are going to have to do it. If America is going to be saved from this trend and this drift and the same identical kind of a situation that parallels what was developing down there in Brazil, men and women who believe in God and who are Christian and not ashamed of the name Christian, they're the ones who are going to have to fight these forces and they're going to have to lead in returning this country to some sanity and back to these ideals of freedom that we formerly had. And beloved, they don't have any FCC so-called fairness doctrine in Brazil. You can get up and say what you want to. And they say it. They do it. They have more liberty in Brazil tonight so far as speech is concerned on the radio than you have in the United States of America. You can denounce the communists. You can deal with these issues. You can say what you please on the radio in Brazil tonight. They've got it. And here we struggle around up here in the United States afraid to say anything for fear somebody will think maybe we're a little peculiar. Or we're afraid to have a preacher stand in the pulpit if he does and talks like this. Bless your heart, he's not preaching the gospel. Beloved, I'm preaching the gospel to you dear souls tonight. I'm telling you what the gospel does. I'm telling you that we have a God who's a king of nations. I'm telling you that our God is the one who had the power to create the earth. Our God is the one who's going to shake the heavens. And our God is the one whose wrath the nations will not be able to escape. And if the preachers of righteousness cannot speak of these things from the Holy Scripture and call a nation back to God, back to repentance, back to the salvation which is by faith, then that man isn't faithful to his calling and he isn't keeping the vows that he took when he said he would take the great counsels of God and preach them to the people. Now the one great leader in Latin America who has been honored and revered more than any other is Dr. Johnny Mackay. But John A. Mackay and his glory is going into eclipse. Not anymore is he recognized or esteemed as he used to be. And that is because of his own difficulties, his own ways, for no other reason. I am very happy to report to you people tonight that our little paper, the Christian Beacon, which has been going through Latin America these years, and now the Spanish Christian Beacon, which goes into all these church hands in every section with all this information, is reaping a mighty, mighty harvest tonight. There is no other paper in existence that's carrying the information against the apostasy and against communism and against all these subversive forces in the field of religion. There is no other paper doing that except our Christian beacon and this Spanish Christian beacon which is going all through these Latin lands. And it is bringing tremendous response. Did I tell you I did tell you about this leader who was down there 18 years ago and told me that we were right. He thanked me for the Christian beacon, which he's been getting these years. He reads English, of course. Also the Spanish Christian beacon. And he said, Dr. McIntyre, your material is the most valuable source of evidence that we've been able to get our hands on. And this material which we've sent to South America has had some influence down there, but I wished it would have more influence up here. I wished it could have more influence among the Christian people in our community and in our area and that more people would be willing to listen to what Dr. McIntyre is willing to preach from his pulpit and bring to you people because he's a servant of Jesus Christ. Dr. John A. Mackay got himself into great trouble in this whole area of communism, as the people in Latin America became aware of Castro and became aware of the communist peril. 
Dr. Mackay speaks perfectionist Spanish, beautiful linguist. And he was head of a Presbyterian school in Lima for years before he came to Princeton. And he is a very brilliant and able mind. But the tragedy of it is he has embraced the neo-orthodoxy thought or the Mackay system of thinking, if you want to call it that. And he has had the idea that the communists are not so bad. And in 1949, when he was in Buenos Aires, they sought to adopt a resolution down there on the Bible. And the fundamentalist preachers wanted to put in the word inerrancy and infallible, which of course it is. But Dr. Mackay opposed that at the meeting, and he wanted to put in its place, or in the place of these words, that the Bible was of supreme authority. Just of supreme. There are other authorities, but it's the, it's the supreme one. And that move of his at that time put a big question mark in the minds of all these evangelicals from all these churches in South America. The Christian movement, the fundamentalist movement, the movement of evangelism in South America has been strong in its adherence to the infallibility of the Bible. And the infallibility of the Bible has been a shibboleth that they've used opposing the infallibility of the Pope. And that's been an issue in Latin America. And Dr. Mackay revealed his views at that time. He went from there to the Far East later that year, as you will recall, and out there he issued the first great pronouncement. He drafted it ever, well, the first one on the recognition of Red China. He made it. And he listed the reasons why the World Council of Churches and the world itself should accept Communist China. He said that Red China should be admitted to the United Nations. And may I read you now the four reasons at that time. And this now has had profound effect in South America. We've published them. They're in our various books. They've been in the beacon many times. They're in the big scrapbook I put out on Red China. Listen to this. Quote, The excellent behavior of the communist armies in their conquest of the China mainland. They were such good armies that we must recognize Red China. Two, the fact that missionary activity is, has not been disrupted. 1949, he said we ought to recognize Red China. There's been no disruption of the missionary activity. Tonight, beloved, there's not a single missionary in Red China. They're all out. Three, the widespread view that China's communism will take a different expression than in Russia and Eastern Europe. Well, if it took any different expression, I don't think it did, but if it did, it was worse than that they had in Russia, not better. Four, the overwhelming support of the people for the new regime, largely, based largely on their disillusionment with the nationalist government. Well, of course, that's just a gratuitous assumption because the people of Red China are not supporting the communist government. And then finally he goes on to say that many of the leaders of the revolution have been trained in our missionary institutions. That was Dr. John A. Mackay in 1949, and now this story has gone all through South America, and they've discovered that Dr. Mackay was in favor of the various communist areas here, at least of cooperating with them, but the one thing that did more than anything else to awaken these men in South America to Dr. Mackay was the issue of Presbyterian life, in which Dr. Mackay published an article on Cuba in perspective. And this issue of Presbyterian life was July the 15th, 1961. 1961, and this is 67, Cuba in perspective. I quote you from that article, quote, The revolution of 1959 in the island of Cuba is the second social revolution in Latin America. 
It was not inspired by communism any more than was the Mexican Revolution. End of quote. Could anybody have been more mistaken? Could anybody be more possibly mistaken than Dr. McCoy? It took Castro himself to rise up and tell everybody that I am a Marxist, I am a communist, I've been one all the time. And then Dr. Mackay goes on in this famous article, and it is a famous article in these church circles down there. He goes on to explain that the that Karl Marx got some of these ideas from the Apostle Paul. How ironical and confusing it is that Karl Marx should have incorporated this New Testament mandate into his system while he rejected Christian thought in general. Now, what was the mandate he's talking about? 2 Thessalonians 3.10, quote, If any man will not work, let him not eat. The reason is obvious. This is Mackay. It suited him to emphasize the Pauline condemnation of social parasites. But for that very reason, if St. Paul were alive today, there are people who would call him a communist simply because Karl Marx becoming enamored of one of his ideas, gave it a basic place in his own philosophy of life. End of quote. Beloved, Dr. Mackay is completely wrong so far as Paul is concerned or so far as far as the quotation of Paul is concerned. Paul's statement in 2 Thessalonians, if a man will not work, neither let him eat, was directed to a parent telling him how to discipline his child in his own home. And it has nothing to do with the social control and the social reorder and the communist ownership of everything with everybody being a slave to the communist state. The two ideas are entirely different worlds. They have nothing to do with one another. And yet Dr. Mackay takes Paul's idea, says Marx accepted it, and he incorporated an idea in here which uh, now if Paul were alive, there would be some people today who would call Paul a communist. Now, beloved, since the communists have now been discredited, and I am happy to tell you people that up in Ayacucho, where we used to support some of these Presbyterian churches, that the one great church up there that is independent and stands for us, I was told by uh, our good brother Saavedra, who'd just been in there, that that church is the strongest bulwark against the guerrillas in the Andes that they have. And the Castro guerrillas come down and make their raids, and it's leaders from our church up there in the Andes and Ayacucho who are the strongest opponents of the communist operation. And people say, well, why don't you people accept the guerrillas? They're going to give us this, they're going to give us that, they're going to do this for us. And it's our Presbyterian churchmen. And furthermore, they're all up there in the mountains while out in it, even a missionary to work with them. And all they have is their Bible and their love of God, their love of liberty, and their love of the truth. And undoubtedly tonight, it has been the fundamentalist preachers, the Bible-believing preachers. It's been the men in Latin America who love the gospel and want to see the gospel preached, who have been alerted to these things, they're willing to talk about them, and now they're taking the actions down there in South America to help keep their countries free and to keep communism from taking over. And I've just come out of that atmosphere. Frankly, I felt like I had gone from Mars to Venus or from Jupiter to Saturn or something when I came back from down there. After 10 days of that atmosphere in that world and being in these meetings to come back up here in this United States where there's a fog and a haze and a deathly sickness over the whole country and you look at the thing and you say, Lord God, deliver us. Lord God, have mercy on this land of ours. A land of plenty. The people are just asleep and they're surfeiting on their comforts and their ease and their money and their wealth. And America is in great peril tonight, and she needs some preachers to rise up and tell her so. And she needs some men who believe in God and believe that he is the king of kings and he's the king of nations, and that by his wrath he's going to deal with nations for their iniquity and for their sin. Guy McLean, a GARB missionary in San Paulo, who's been there all these years, He's the second oldest missionary I believe they have down there. 
He sat in the pulpit with me on Wednesday night a week ago in San Paulo when I sat in that first conservative church and brought the message. And when the meeting was over, he says, Carl, he says, we can't believe it. You can't believe the change that's taken place here in our country. He said, we never had so much liberty. He says, the doors were never open like they're open tonight for the preaching of the gospel. Guy McLean of Mid-Mission said that to me. And it's true. They came to the very brink of disaster. They came to the very moment where they saw the communist worldwide strategy. They saw the communists in the fields of education. They saw the communists working in the church. And these women cried out against it. And these women put it in their standards. And these women went out on the streets. 600,000 of them jammed the main thoroughfare there in San Paulo, Brazil, saying we want the communists cleaned out of government. We want the communists cleaned out of the schools. We want the communists cleaned out of the churches. That had an awful lot to do with the organization in the Presbyterian Church. And now the conservatives have gotten control. And up there in the Campinas Theological Seminary, which is the big and powerful Presbyterian seminary, the General Assembly met. They took control. The conservatives did. They had a liberal up and they had a conservative. And the conservative moderator was overwhelming elected. And the very first thing they did was to throw the communist out of their seminary. And they threw the modernist out. And they cleaned up their Campinas Theological Seminary. May I say to you, dear people, tonight, as we witness what's going on in our country and we see these riots and all that's behind them, we need prayer. But, oh, we don't need to be deceived by these panaceas that they're offering as the remedy. There's only one remedy for anything that's wrong with our country right now, and that's to change the people and get them to love God and love the truth of God and have some appreciation for the freedom which is ours to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can preach the gospel and then men will be saved. And I'm sure the ease with which men would come to Christ down there. I'm sure the response that people have to the preaching of the gospel is related to this overturning and the shaking which has taken place down there among the people. Our God is the King of Nations. Dr. John A. Mackay with his praise of Castro. Dr. John A. Mackay with telling the people there that... uh, Uh, Paul would be called a communist if he were alive today. That kind of leadership is a misguided leadership. And that kind of leadership, thank God, is now being recognized in South America. I mentioned to you that I went on Sunday afternoon to this great Pentecostal assembly. They had the 8th Congress of Pentecostal, World Pentecostalism there. And we were there. I said, Ms. McIntyre, we got in on our plane. I said, let's take a taxi and go out and see what's going on. So we went out to this big, big, it's a big stadium. And here they came, everybody, I think most everybody was there. They told us that for six, for, for three solid months, the one radio in the town of carried a lot of religion had been nothing but advertising and advertising. And we saw somewhere between possibly 65 or 75,000 people come into that stadium. Pentecostals. Pentecostals. They were organized, tremendously organized. We saw the poor, the poor come in. Ms. McIntyre says, look over here. Here was a whole row, a man and wife with 12 children. Come over here, another man and wife with nine children. Here they came, all these dear people. And you just loved them. And they sang a number of gospel songs. But then the chairman of their central committee got up to give his testimony, and there it was. And you never heard such groanings and such crying and such noise in all your life. This came out of that statement. When he said that he'd been speaking in tongues for 24 years. And he said that uh, when the apostles spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost, that they spoke in different languages, one in uh, Latin and one in Greek and They spoke in tongues that others could understand so the gospel could be spread. But he said, I've been speaking in tongues for 24 years. And he says, only heaven knows what tongue it is. He says, I don't know yet what tongues I've been speaking in. But he says, this is, of course, what Latin America needs. And they just yelled and they cheered and they went on. And you saw that fanaticism that's attached to that uh, type of thing manifest itself. But you know, when they marched out their flags of all the nations that they have, I was so pleased. I kept waiting. I said, Ms. McIntyre, now watch. They're bringing them out. 
I said, is this the same stadium uh, seven years ago where the Baptist World Alliance had their big meeting here and Billy Graham was their big speaker and here they marched out the Moscow flag and here they marched out the hammer and sickle and here they marched out these various communist flags. I says, watch and see if the Pentecostals bring out the communist flags. But they didn't. There was no communist flag on that platform. I don't know what happened to them because they claimed to have Pentecostalists in Moscow, but they left the flags out. There wasn't a single flag from a communist country on that baseball diamond that afternoon. The Pentecostalists left it out. Something is happening. Something is happening. I was very interesting, however, when the time came, they had two hours of preliminaries. You never saw such, but they had a band up there. They had a choir that was robed like the Brazilian flag, and they sang a hymn. You know what it was? The Universal Church. And they're it. They're the Universal Church. And when you see them, here are their churches from Chile that are in the World Council of Churches. Yeah, they're in it. They're very happy men. Here's some of their other great leaders say, we must join the World Council of Churches and go in there and evangelize. Here's some of them say, no, their president's connected with the NAE, and that's the middle of the road group, and they are they're for everybody and being all groups, you know. And yet there are still some others. We were walking down a corridor, and a man walked up to me and says, are you Dr. McIntyre? As much as they say, what in the world are you doing here? I said, well, yes. And uh, he says, well, I was at your meeting in 1958. He says, I am a Baptist, or I was a Baptist. He says, I'm Pentecostal now. But he says, I'm still against the World Council of Churches. He says, I'm stronger than ever. He says, a lot of our people are. I said, well, you folks are quite a mixture down here, aren't you? Some of you in the World Council, some of you in the middle, and some of you are against. He says, yeah. He says, a lot of them don't know where they stand. And I says, my friend, what's going to happen to this? And he kind of shook his head. He says, I don't know. But the chairman is the NAE, was the NAE president, uh, Dr. Zimmerman, and I'll never forget, he stood up there, it came time to speak, it had all this Pentecostal noise that they make. He says, no one is to move out of their seats. No one is to get into the aisles. No one is to make any noise. Everybody is to keep quiet. He says, while his speaker's talking. And so since we'd been there two hours and we didn't know how long the speaker was going to talk and we had an appointment that night, I said, Ms. McIntyre, we'll have to leave. So we left. But I was so pleased, no matter what you may say, I was so pleased that when they had their big demonstration out there, they didn't parade any communist flags. They didn't know it. Isn't it wonderful to be in a place where God's given us an opportunity to lift the word of God up and the obedience to the gospel and loyalty to only this Christ and that salvation isn't dependent upon some gift of tongues or some spirit's manifestations here or there, but that salvation is the gift of God to your soul when he gives you faith and only faith to believe that Christ died for your sins. One of the first questions that one of these Presbyterian leaders said to me, he said, Dr. McIntyre, we must have your book in Portuguese immediately. Another man said, Dr. McIntyre, it's a bombshell down here. I said, well, I'm happy to tell you that Dr. Gayros has it already translated. It's already translated, completely finished in Portuguese. And we're going to go up home and raise the money to get it printed. We got $2,000 the other night for it. It's going to take about 10000 to do it. But if God will give it to us, we'll print that little book and we'll spread it to the Baptists and the Congregationalists and the Methodists. One Methodist came to my meeting last Sunday night. At the close of that meeting, it was filled, that great period in church, and he came up and he said, Dr. McIntyre, I'm a Methodist. He says, my church is a living hell. He says, we've got communists still in my church. That's what he said. And beloved, if you're going to preach the word, you must have churches that stand for it. And if you're going to have a free country delivered from these conspiracies, you must have some Christians who know what's going on and are willing to take their stand for truth and for righteousness and for freedom in their social order and in their communities. Has to be done. May I say to you, dear souls, I didn't intend to preach this long, but you seem to be listening, so 
I'm going to have to go, but I'm going to say to you that perhaps one of the greatest things that has ever happened to this country of ours is the trial of WXUR, the hearing of WXUR. My, that's going to raise questions in every section of this country, and it means that what Dr. McIntyre says on this pulpit and what Dr. McIntyre is going to say throughout this area, and I'm going to say a plenty, is going to be listened to, and we're going to have an opportunity, and our church is going to be the center of more discussion and more talks, and if you people can't stand that sort of thing, you better run for cover, because we're going to have it. And every last one of you, members of this church, you're going to have to say, yes, I know what it's all about, and I'm for that station, and I'm for what Dr. McIntyre stands for, and I'm for what Faith Seminary has been turning out, and I'm for doing everything we can to get the rest of the people in our area to get out of this apostasy, to get out and stop supporting this unbelief. One of the ladies that joined our church this morning was from a Lutheran church. She's coming out of it because in the National Council of Churches. We walked out of the room. She says, I feel so sorry today. And I said, what are you sorry about, lady? I said, we're happy you're coming. Oh, she says, I'm sorry for my pastor. Well, somebody ought to be sorry for him. Somebody ought to be sorry for these preachers back in these churches that aren't telling their people what's going on. Somebody ought to be sorry for this condition that we find ourselves in. And if Brazil can be changed, if there can be an overturning in Brazil that has brought about because of basic Christian ideals and basic Christian understanding and Christian women and Christian leaders who said we're not going to go on down this road with all these communist and pro-communist operators and agitators and organizations functioning in the government, in the church, in the field of education. And they stopped it. And the Lord's blessed Brazil tonight. May God bless us in America too. May he bless us. And in the conflict which shall develop, may many be saved. May many come to know what it is just to trust in Jesus. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we're so thankful tonight for these great things that have happened. And we thank Thee that in these Latin lands there's this mighty stirring, new movements, new leaders, new churches. Lord, we thank Thee for it. And we thank Thee that the Pentecostalists didn't display their communist flags. They left them out and didn't put them on the field. Lord, we thank thee that these things are developing. And may it come in our own country that they won't display these communist flags either at these church assemblies. Bless us now, for Christ's sake. Amen.